And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. It was a father-son road trip down the coast to Baja and then over to mainland Mexico. This was a trip that set the course for the life of John Rose. This was a trip that served as a blueprint for building a lifestyle of travel and adventure. Passion met purpose when John began constructing his future in service to a cause, the water crisis. Instead of only catching waves as a surfer, he began making waves as a humanitarian. If you do what you love, you'll love what you do. With regard to what you do, John, what is it about waves for water that you love the most? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's a, a trick question. Um, I. It, it's interesting because you said you know if you do what you love, then you love what you, love what you do, and our original sort of ethos tagline of this "Do what you love and help along the way" came very organically. Um, from its original in, intention, which was like, at that time, I love to go explore the world and and really immerse myself in different cultures, surf. Um, you know, th these were my passions at that time. So the do what you love part was was that, and then while I was there, it, it was plug purpose into that. So like help along the way, and that's it is very uh, organic. Um, but it was also pretty in, intentional, you know, like it was right. thoughtful in the way that that, um, statement reads, um, it, it wasn't, you know, help and then do what you love. It, it was very much flipped around from the old school kind of martyrdom model of a, yeah. a work. Um, and there's this really cool energy and, and and spark with that, you know, with that feeling of just going out there and, and, and saying, screw it. Like I, I'm going to do the things that make me the most happy. And while I'm there, I'm going to try and leave these places better than I found them. You know, it's a real simple concept, but we're a weird species. <laughs> uh, you know, we really have a hard time, um, loving ourselves and we have a hard time giving ourselves credit. We have a hard time, you know, it's like one of the hardest things to do. Like you can give people, other people compliments all day, but it's hard to give yourself one. Um, and I don't know why that is. Um, I feel like we should sort of own that shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in, 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 in what I mean by that in terms of waves for water is unapologetically go out there and, and serve yourself and serve others in the process because you're going to serve others better if you're if you're good if you're in a good place so it's really that analogy of being on an airplane and and you're putting your mask first because if you don't then you can't help anybody else so that was the big light bulb moment for me early on now the the transformation from that is that all of a sudden the the purpose that you were plugging into the passions that you had 
become your passion. <laughs> yes. And it all gets mashed together and it all becomes this like really amazing synergy. And, and that's uh, sort of where I've landed now. That's amazing. And I love, I mean, you, you said it, that it's, it's really just very simple, this, this whole methodology, but you're right. We have such a hard time loving ourselves, giving ourselves any credit. Um, but what, what you've done, what you've created is just phenomenal. Um, you know, so uh, here's the thing, like father, like son, we, we've heard this, people are familiar with this. Your father, Jack Rose, founded Raincatcher to bring clean water to Africa. You then founding Waves for Water to bring clean water to the world. What has it been like battling this water crisis with your father? Oh, it's, um, it's awesome. And, and I mean, if you know us, then you know that we're sort of like a package deal. Like you, you get me, you get him, you get him, you get me. Um, well, for anyone else that comes in our life, like that is it, you know, that's, that's the package. That's how it comes. There's no other option. That's the way it is. So it's, uh, and it's been that way since the beginning and, and, um, we've collaborated in life, uh, not just as father and son, which is like the ultimate collaboration. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, in, in our work and in our ideology and in our, uh, in, in, in the way we have fun, you know, tackling the world and, and adventuring. And, you know, I mean, he, I remember when I was nine years old, he took me out of school at like two months left on my fourth grade school year. And, um, I was like, we're going to Mexico. And we packed up his old pickup truck. And back then, I, I mean, I'm sure it would be a lot harder to do this now, but like back then, you know, he just did it. And of course, consent for my mom and, and all that stuff. It wasn't like uh, kidnapping or anything, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, basically just like no real plan, just saying like, this is, this needs to happen. And, and, um, we spent like five months. So it was like the last two months of the school year and then three months, um, of summer and just zero plan totally camping on the beach and that's where i ended up surfing for my first time and you know i went all the way down baja and then took a ferry over to mainland mexico and then like camped on her his buddy's land that was like north of puerto Vallarta for a few months and just like you know bushwhacking with machetes and surfing and just like pure adventure and really adapting daily to like whatever energy we were feeling and um and then drove up at the end of that summer up through arizona you know mainland mexico to arizona and then over to southern california and then he just ro enrolled me in fifth grade <laughs> and and I, I, I mean, I would love to have been in that room with the, the administrators of the school, like, where's his transcripts, like from fourth grade or what happened, you know, but it didn't somehow it didn't matter. And I just was in fifth grade, which you can't really do now. I know that. Um, but the moral of the story is it's just um, that sort of that that was sort of his parenting style. And um, it's not coincidental that my life manifested the way that it did <laughs> i mean if that was my first example yeah like why am i addicted to adventure 
because I started at nine, you know, and, and learned adaptability and resourcefulness and just like, like really being immersed in a place, present moment type stuff. Um, so it's natural that I would create a life that was built around that and using professional surfing as the first vehicle for that. And then using waves for water as the second vehicle to, to sort of exercise that passion. Mm -hmm. So I think doing this work with my dad is just sort of like an extension of, you know, my childhood. And then of course now like the, the roles reverse too, you know, like it, like I've taken the helm and he's supporting me, you know, and a more supporting role, whereas it was flipped around when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I think that's normal with kids and their parents and stuff, but it's a really cool story. It's just, a, it's just any way you slice it. Uh, an interesting story indeed. What an incredible, incredible experience that, yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, uh, let's talk about this, you know, from providing clean water to communities in Haiti following their earthquake to delivering bucket filters by horseback in Mongolia, I've been told, your work has taken you a long way from home. Of the many locations that you've traveled to with this work, what place has felt the most like home to you? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there are certain regions that we're drawn to, and I think there maybe is some like ancestral wiring there, or I don't know, like for example, my dad is very, very drawn to Africa. like. Mm -hmm he that's where he feels the most i guess at home for me it was more like central south america um where i just feel and i'm saying that as a region um if i just go to the place and, and i don't know the answer to to why mm -hmm. it's just is you know that's just where i felt and, and he's like the opposite like he doesn't prefer those places you know what i mean so yeah. there's there's these funny things that you can't explain um, then if you want to get a little bit more granular with it all, um, like Haiti, I think, so I think there's these natural places that you're drawn to, like I just said, and you can't explain why. Then there's the ones that, that weave their way into the fabric of who you are for, from more of an energetic standpoint mm -hmm. and, and whatever experiences you've had there have profoundly impacted you to the point where that is home. Like the feeling that you have there is home. And Haiti's that for me. Um, I think I've had, you know, the biggest growth of my life in that country. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for that reason, I, I don't know if it would be without those experiences, like those other places I mentioned, like if I just showed up, if I would have that feeling, but now in retrospect, like there's, probably no more powerful place on the planet for me than, than Haiti. Wow, that is really, really interesting. And like how you're saying, not just from your experience, but the environment itself um, and how the two of them play into that, that feeling of, of home that we find. Um, you know, so where most people will race away from danger, you run toward it. Mm -hmm. So the question now, uh, of all the situations you've been in, John, what has been the most dangerous situation that you've run into with your work? Uh, there's been a few 
that have, that really stand out. Um, working in Afghanistan in 2011-12 um, during the peak of the the war over there, um, we were partnered with the uh, U.S. Army uh, doing humanitarian assistance programs with these civil affairs teams helping uh, women's empowerment actually within these communities, like training the school teachers and medical professionals, the, the women of those communities um, uh, with our program. And it was a really cool, cool initiative. Um, it was also like an active war zone. You know, there's there two, two days before I got there, there was a mortar round, uh, uh, mortar attack that on, that would happen on base that sent two home, two people home in critical. Um, and the, the hole where the mortar landed was like right outside the barrack door that I was staying in, you know, it was like two days prior. Um, one month after we were there, the, the main doctor that we were working with got snipered on base and killed in action. Um, so th those are like real clear and present dangers. Those are just, mm -hmm. it, it's direct, uh, direct danger. Um, you know what you're getting into. There's like lots of protocols. You're willing, you're, you're uh, assessing that risk and basically analyzing it and saying, I'm willing to take this or I'm not. I didn't force anybody from my team to do that. Mm -hmm. It was something I felt was really powerful and and you know like all these people are literally all these civilians are literally caught in the crossfire of a situation like this a war and there's no NGOs allowed not not just allowed but no NGOs that would work you know in the middle of a war zone um, it's just not typical and it's also not typical for an NGO to partner with the military it's actually kind of considered taboo in a lot of ways um, uh, at least within our sector but I don't I don't believe that um, and it just felt compelling to do it and to take that risk. And, and at that time, you know, I can't even say if I would take that risk now, like, I don't know. It's just at that time, it just felt like it. And, you know, 50,000 Afghans gained access to clean water because of it. It was the first and only civilian partnership, civilian military partnership of its kind. Um, and still the only one that's logged in, in the war. Um, and that was extreme danger. I mean, there's, you know, so much risk and so much palpable, um, risk right there. Um, so that, that's what you call direct danger. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, like it was a couple days of difference between what could have been something very, very scary for me, but, but wasn't, um, in that situation. And I, and I am here to, to talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. And the and the the project was a success. Now the other side of the coin is where you have um, indirect danger. So direct is like people shooting at you. Mm -hmm. You know that that type of like it's very clear what's happening, and then you can kind of right. uh, adjust and adapt accordingly. Indirect is the scarier one for me because you can't like it's it's danger you can't necessarily see right like it's not it's not right in front of you and so i had the opportunity to go to north korea um in 2014 i believe 15. um and i'm not gonna say that we were in danger like i i, I can't say that because it didn't it, that didn't present itself but 
you know, you, I had to leave my cell phone in China. I leave my passport. They took my passport when I landed and then you're on their program the whole time. And that feeling of uneasiness, like if at any moment they just decided to say, oh, you're, you're like, let's say some geopolitical thing happened <laughs> while mm -hmm. we were there. And then we were just the, the collateral piece. Um, I, I'm not making any assumptions saying that they are looking to do this to Americans at all. I'm just saying, let's just talk about history and talk about like the way this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And you're putting yourself into a situation where you're extremely vulnerable. There is no other foreigners there. No one, you know, like there's just us. And if at any, any point that narrative decides to change for whatever reason on, on either side, really, but you're the one caught in the middle of it, then you have huge risk, like be stuck in North Korea, right. you know, held like that. There's, there's plenty of stories like this of ex school teacher or ex person or this person or this person that we know about that this has happened to. So that type of thing in the back of your head where like, yeah, there was no, I've been in way scarier situations on the streets of Haiti um, than what happened than it was in North Korea, but psychologically, yeah. Uh, the level of tension and sort of pressure, at least that I felt personally, I did have uh, a colleague with me. Um, and it's just, it was such an amazing experience to actually do that. But it was just like, like a little unsettling, you know, just because yeah. of the nature of everything, the nature of the relationship, the nature, you know, you're just really kind of putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I've had, you know, other very sketchy situations in Haiti and um, in in uh, Africa as well. And just just situations where, you know, you get I mean, you get a really sketchy situation in, in Los Angeles. Right. Right. Um, this is true. Um, so it's really just about having your wits about you head on a swivel, situational and, and environmental awareness, mm -hmm. um, you know, all systems, all pistons firing type type uh, awareness yeah and, and that's that's sort of i think knock on wood you know i've been through a lot of situation we worked in this in the syrian refugee camps in the becca valley um mm -hmm. and there's just there's a lot of risk but if you're hyper aware and doing your due diligence and you can kind of mitigate that risk and and we're we have Right. Well, it's interesting how you identified too the two different kinds of danger, the danger that see that's right there in front of you and and then the other that you can't. And I, I can yeah. I, I hear you why the second would be a little scarier. Just it's, it's, it's yeah, weird. Something how that, in that is scarier than somebody actually pointing a gun at you. I don't know. Like that's just that's still. Yeah, because, you know, on paper, like somebody pointing a gun at you is very scary. Yeah. But that's like something that's face value. Like you see it. Mm -hmm. you, you get it all it's right there so then you can react but other stuff that's hidden <laughs> right <laughs> another yeah. level of non-control that's probably not comfortable <laughs> exactly um you know so so let's talk about what you've got going on right at this moment because with approximately two million people currently displaced inside the borders of ukraine your emergency clean water initiative for Ukraine is a priority. Um, so love to hear just um, just, a, just a snapshot about what's your game plan and what is your goal with being there? Yeah, so I mean, and, and first and foremost, the goal 
there is to provide is to focus on those displaced persons within borders not we're not focusing on the refugee camps outside the borders there's a lot of big agencies um, supporting that and that's really great that's where like a lot of the volume is but there's all these pockets of need that are just like basically falling through the cracks through throughout the country as you can imagine and we just felt like with our clean water core team which is our veteran uh strike force if you will mm -hmm. <laughs> um they're just badasses and um and and, and 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 frankly just very uh well equipped to this is what they do this is what they've done their entire military career is work in situ you know they call it vuca situations um mm -hmm. and uh they, they're trained for this so so we've we've really just focused you know led by rob mcqueen who i know you got to talk to um you know and he's really spearheading the initiative and and just getting some of his key players in and we're building this we, we have been building this like local network of uh, implementers because in some cases our our crew has been going cross-border um but a lot of it is just coordinating and building up these networks of of local um, just groups that are going back and forth and, you know, mm -hmm. under the radar and servicing different needs and really tapping into that. And it's a lot more logistically minded, um, tactically minded than, than some of the other programs we're doing around the world that are really straightforward. This is complex for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the goal is just to find those pockets of need. I mean, and like, like these networks of, of implementers that we're, that we're facilitating, they are helping on a lot of levels, you know, they're getting a lot of different types of aid and we're just one layer of that. Mm -hmm. And we're really arming them with, with new tools to be able to help their people. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really rewarding initiative. It's really challenging. <laughs> I can imagine. But we have, you know, some good support. And, and, and like I said, our clean water core veteran team is just, they're they're a plus awesome that is that is awesome um you know when it comes to bringing more clean water to more communities again your father passed you the torch you broke the mold and made a model with waves for water where you continue to pass the torch to others you continue to empower them to serve communities with clean water just as you are doing so sustainable and scalable waves for water is such a beautiful union of passion and purpose so here's the question do you feel that you have heard and answered your calling in your life or is this where you have this pioneer within you that still has this need to keep exploring beyond what you've built Oh, keep exploring always. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what you might say. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so funny. Everyone's like, you found your calling. I'm like, I found one of them for sure. Uh, um, and that's not to to um, sell sell waves for water or any of the things I've done in the past short at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a matter. It's just sort of the way my brain works. And, and, I, and I really believe in life as as, you know, chapters of a book. And, you know, I had the professional surfing chapter and then I had waves for water chapter, which I'm still currently in, but there will be more chapters for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, excited to follow you in this novel of a life that you're creating with these incredible chapters and the people that you are helping along the way. Uh, again, such a beautiful life of passion and purpose. And thank you for sharing it with us and uh, for helping all of us just become a bit more, you know, I'm going to say aware now. <laughs> yeah, right on. Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are aware now.